Nation, and welcome to Patriots Beat, your number one source for everything on the Patriots Pulse here in Patriots Nation. I am your host, Jeff Kane, at Boston Fat Guy on Twitter. Joining me, as always, is Snowden Bob. Bob Snowden, my buddy, my pal, here on the CLS Radio Patriots Network. Follow us, of course, on iTunes www.itunes.com slash Patriots Beat. Follow us on Twitter at Patriots Beat. And of course, follow CLNS Radio, CLNSRadio.com and at CLNS Radio. Tough loss last week by the New England Patriots. Uh, Patrick Shankauer and I went nine rounds uh, talking about the Patriots and our frustrations from them and their 33 to 20 loss uh, to the Miami Dolphins, where they got shut out 23 to nothing in the second half. Very unpatriot like game just horrible horrible coaching horrible playing just bad all the way around it's been a long time since i've seen the new england patriots look that bad unfortunately the patriots start off 0-1-1 but they uh go up against old friend matt castle this week and against the minnesota vikings so we're going to bring in my buddy bob snowden here we're going to talk a little bit about the patriots last week sure we'll get into the ray rice situation and we'll talk about the minnesota vikings coming up so bob how you doing well, I was doing good before Sunday. I was all excited. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm doing fine. The Pats will be fine. I just, the biggest thing I took out of that game Sunday was their inability to make adjustments. And, and, nothing, yeah, and, and nothing. Once Miami started coming back, they fell into some old patterns. They stopped running the ball completely. I know you were probably beating up your TV screen. <laughs> they they tried to force passages into Gronk, although they didn't scoop down. They did not throw as much to him in the second half as they did in the first, but when they threw to him in the second half, they were forcing the ball. Brady was forcing the ball. And, you know, there were, there were so many bad things. I don't want to make myself depressed again, but I know we're going to have to talk about a lot of yeah, them. Just a little. But I, I do lay, I lay most of it on the coaching staff. I really do. I don't think, you know, the, the, the offensive line was terrible, but who the hell is going to be the offensive line? They still don't know. They need to decide on five players. They had four that played most of the, most of the snaps, and then they flip-flopped. Uh, you know, the, the, the players that were not normally starters, I had said even before the season began, Jordan Devy, I wasn't too sure. Well, he was really the number five of the five linemen. He played 64 snaps, but Wendell was in there. Cameron Fleming was only in for one snap uh, the whole game. I, I just, the offensive line has me befuddled, and they didn't even dress Josh Klein. No, it's unreal what they did with that offensive line. And in the first half, they actually weren't too bad. And, and going over on my uh, focus on the film room, I, I noticed that the offensive line wasn't horrible. It set up a decent pocket for the uh, for the quarterback in Tom Brady. But there were other times where they were just beat off the ball completely. But a total team effort in suckingness is what I'll call it right now. From the top, Bill Belichick right down to the 53rd man on the roster, which this time we'll say is Danny Aiken, the long snapper, with his bad snap to start uh, things in a hole. But, Bob, you, you're right there. I mean... They can't decide what they're going to do at that offensive line. Connolly came out, started uh, at center, and every time they brought Wendell in, they moved Connolly over to right guard. I just feel that that is a bad thing to do. You're, you need reputation, uh, reputations, reputations there. And, and reputations. 
Exactly. <laughs> but the Patriots, they're, they're screwing up two positions when you move. You, you're taking out your center in Connolly, moving him over to right guard, and putting Wendell in at center. So you're, you're screwing up two positions there. And it's not like you're taking Jordan Devy out and putting Ryan Wendell in at right guard. You're moving two, two different people there. Now, Devy did not have a very good game at all. Uh, there was one uh, play that uh, it, it'll go as a sack against Nate Soldier, who a lot of people thought had a bad game. But Soldier had blocked uh, the uh, defense Ben McLean out, outside. And that's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to let him get outside, make him have to go around you. If Brady had a clean pocket, he could have stepped up and made a throw. Instead, he sacked because he steps up, and there's someone in his face because Devy completely missed his man off the line, which was Jared Oderick. And the sack went to McLean, and then all of a sudden, who did McLean beat? Well, he beat Nate Soldier. Well, the offensive line has to work as five people together, and there were many times on Sunday that they didn't work as five people together. Hell, they didn't even work as three people together. There were a lot of bad plays there. Well, and that's what I, in the column I wrote, and I had to wait to write it a couple of days because I was so pissed. I really, I normally would have written it on Monday, but I struggled and finally got it out uh, Wednesday, I think it was. And and that's what I was writing is they, they need to be able to know what the person on their right and left is going to do. And the only way you get that is repetition. And and the fact that they're moving people around, plus they don't know who's going to be in there. Um, and I'm not a huge Josh Klein fan. I mentioned him once before. But to not even have him available to go in when Devi was struggling and then solidify whatever the line would be at that time just, to me, amazed me. I... I Bill Belichick is known for putting his team in a position to win. I didn't think he did it Sunday, and I'm a Bill Belichick fan, but I didn't think he did it. I didn't think the offensive line <laughs> coach did it. I don't think the, the head offensive coordinator did it. And, and in defense, I know you're new, but good God, people were playing – roles they weren't used to playing, and here it is the first game of the year, and that, that's frustrating. Well, the one thing that really killed me on the defensive side of the ball is is this team came out with a three-man line, whether it be a 3-4 or they were running a 3-3-5 with the nickelback in there where they had uh, the fourth linebacker drop out for the nickelback. They were not getting anything done right on that on the defensive line and a lot of it has to do with the personnel that they're using we saw during the preseason we saw Chandler Jones standing up as an outside linebacker well against Miami in a three-man front they're using Chandler Jones as a a, a three-man front defensive end he doesn't have the size or the strength to set up and and basically two gap and, and the way that they He's responsible for the, the C gap on each side of the B and C gap on each side of the tackle. He's got to play the inside and the outside. He's got to hold that up and let the linebackers make plays, and they didn't do that. At times, they had Vince Wilfork over the nose, which is his spot in a 3-4, and they had Joe Volano playing the left defensive end and uh, Jones playing the right defensive end. That right there shows me a hybrid Four three three four. Look, that's not going to work. It's not making your personnel be that great. 
And at other points, they had Silva Salinga coming in and playing that nose and moving Will Fork over to right defensive end. And still, Jones is there. And I love Chandler Jones. He's a great talent, but he's either going to be a stand-up linebacker or he's got to be a 4-3 defensive end. They did some huge problems there. There were times when the when Miami Dolphins came out with an unbalanced line where they basically put two tackles to the left side and ran right at Jones and Mayo, and you have two small, speedy, fast guys. And there are wide-open gaps, and that's why you're seeing Lamar Miller and Noshawn Moreno getting seven, eight yards before they're even touched. On these plays where they have the unbalanced line to the left, Vince Wilfork is shading the center to his right. There is no help there at all. Well, we talked, and, and, we talked about the lack of depth at linebacker, and they're doing exactly what we were afraid they were going to do. They're making people play positions because they don't have any depth there. I mean, Mayo played 74 of the 74 snaps, 100%. Collins, 73 of the 74. And those are the offline linebackers who, by the end of the game, those guys were exhausted. Collins looked like he could hardly stand up by the end of the game. So with the lack of depth on the in the linebacker group, the question becomes, why are the Patriots going with an odd man front and not going with things that can help their skill set? Basically using a man like Vince Wilfork and first-round pick Dominic Easley or Silva Salinga or Joe Volano and using them as the defensive tackles and then having your Rob Ninkovich and your Chandler Jones on your ends. As it was, Ninkovich, you pointed out to me, Ninkovich hardly played. 35 snaps of 74. And last year, he played 95% of the defensive snaps. First game, he played less than half. Yeah, the game plan on Sunday was for the birds, and the fact is they didn't make any adjustments. I mean, they get their Polaroids. They have... They are basically sitting there with their new tablets. They can see all this stuff right in front of them, stuff that you know anyone can see, and they're not making the adjustments. When they're starting to get absolutely run over by no Sean Moreno, they don't did not make any adjustments. They stayed exactly where they were where they were going with the lines that they were going at. They stayed with Chandler Jones, Vince Wilfork, and that rotation that we talked about. And they were getting chewed up. They didn't. They didn't try to switch anything up. They didn't try to go to a, a an even front with bigger bodies up front trying to help. No, they they just went in there. They rushed three or four when anytime there was a passing play, and they dropped seven in the coverage. There was no aggressiveness, which we thought we would see out of the Patriots. It was back to that bend but don't break, and it makes me ask. Why bring in these players, these Darrell Revises, these Brandon Browns? Of course, he didn't play on Sunday. If you're not going to be aggressive, we all talked about the man coverage that could be had in the secondary and players like Jamie Collins and Chandler Jones and Donta Hightower making plays. Well, they didn't allow them to make plays. It, it just it amazes me, and I'm, I'm still amazed by it. And we'll see Sunday because Minnesota – you know, has two offensive weapons that are that can be devastating. And if this defense doesn't adjust, I mean, their quarterback, Matt Castle, is okay. He's certainly not one of the top quarterbacks in the NFL. Uh, but he's got passes. But he's smart. Yeah, he's, he's learned from Brady. I mean, let's face it. But the year he played and, and won 
when Brady was out that preseason, if you remember, we were ready to dump him. And, and man, he's another one of those quarterbacks that come game time, he stepped up. But, I mean, I wouldn't put him in a top 10 quarterback category. But he's, he doesn't try and do more than he's capable of doing. And that's where, you know, I don't know that pressure is going to really help against him. My key has got to be that they stop Patterson. And, and unfortunately, if, if they stop him, then you've got, you know, a guy that, that really was impressive. And that's Corey, I'm going to pronounce his first name wrong, Corderell Patterson, uh, who was just, you know, you've got Adrian Peterson on one side, and then you've got Cordell and Corderell Patterson. Who, Cordell, yeah, Cordelli, who, Cordelli. Cordelli, okay, thank you. Cordelli Patterson. Who could have been a Patriot. So, uh, well, I'm all right with the trade that they made. I know, they got Collins. And, and they got Collins and Ryan and... And, and a seventh-round pick, which ended up being LeGarrette Blount. So I'm not upset about that. In fact, they even got uh, – um, who was the fourth-round pick? I'm trying to think who they grabbed. Oh, Josh Boyce. So, I mean, basically Josh Boyce, you know, he's on the practice squad. But still, uh, they got some impact players for Cordelli Patterson, and they have players that can play. You know, we'll see – hopefully we'll see Aaron Dobson this week. But, yeah, that's the big thing. It's stopping Adrian Peterson. That's the number one thing. And if I'm a offensive coordinator attacking the Patriots, I'm putting my quarterback in shotgun, spreading them out, and I'm handing the ball off to my to my running back until they prove that they can stop it. Because right now they're not proving anything. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it didn't, we I w- went through when we were prepping the show, and and basically did it in a, you know ten things we learned from game one. Uh, and there were some things that 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 were really kind of scary issues. Uh, we already talked about the offensive line. We talked about the defense and the questions that haven't been answered. I was surprised a little bit that Revis got beat a couple of times. I don't think he played a terrible game, but he got flat beat a couple of times. I I felt he was such a lockdown. I wasn't even worried about him. Uh, what did you think? And you've now looked at your focus on film, or film on focus, or whatever the hell it is. <laughs> what did you see when looking at Revis, Jeff? Uh, he's pretty good. Um, he's not. He didn't play a great game. Uh, you know, he sort of got beat. I guess you can say for a touchdown. Um, but he was in the right position to make the uh, to make the play on the ball. Uh, the problem there was the safety uh, in that position happened to be our good friend Kyle Arrington. And Kyle Arrington, obviously new to the safety role, didn't know exactly where to be. And had he been in the right coverage, he could have knocked the ball down. Uh, again, on a trailing pass across the uh, across the line, uh, where it was a 22-yard completion to uh, good friend Mike Wallace again, Patriots were in a um, basically a cover two shell. And before the snap, uh, McCourty came up and. Uh, Tavon Wilson dropped back to make it cover one coverage, basically one deep safety, and you had a point where there was a busted coverage. Uh, basically, Revis kept the uh, the top off the ball from having uh, Wallace go deep and followed him across the uh, across the field, and it was a 22-yard completion. Unfortunately, both McCourty and Collins got caught on uh, the tight end, Charles Clay, who didn't even go out for a pass on the play. They were both absolutely fooled. It was a, a, a bad coverage 
busted coverage and a 22-yard completion. Other than that, I thought Revis did okay. Didn't do great, but played okay. Again, I don't think they asked him to do as much as I would have liked to see him do really locked down on guys. Well, and one of the other things is, and I didn't realize this during the game, you probably did when you when you did your focus. He didn't play the last nine snaps on defense because he cramped up. Um, and they, yeah, I mean, it's Florida sun, man. <laughs> yeah, the heat was a factor. I don't want to blame anything completely on the heat, but the heat was a factor. The Patriots just flat out ran out of gas. Not only did they not make any adjustments, but they were pooped. I mean, they were they were not in it at all in the second half. And it, and it was obvious they were tired, and that surprised me only a little bit because you and I talked about that, and I know we did last week with our, our friends from Pat's 4th and 2, that, that the heat could be a factor if the game were tight in the fourth quarter. Well, it it was a factor in the third quarter, not just the fourth quarter, because Miami had no trouble doing what they wanted to do in the third quarter, and the Patriots not only didn't adjust, but they were tired. They they, they couldn't tackle. I mean, the whole game. I one of the things you heard, um, gee, a couple of years ago, and and you hear it every training camp from some of the coaches is because of the new agreement, they can't really practice tackling during training camp. Well, boy, it showed up. I mean, the Patriots just could not make critical tackles. You mentioned people were breaking free, and that's true, but they also, there were four or five instances where they had, man, whether it was Marino um, or, what was it, Miller? The other running back, I'm trying to think. Yeah, was Miller, it? Yes. Miller. They had them in the backfield, and, you know, there was one that I remember, Vince Wilfork had a guy, Dead to rights, oh, yeah, three yards was... deep, and and instead it ended up a five yard gain. Yeah, and a touchdown. Yeah, it ended up being a That's touchdown right, right yeah. there, and, yep. and that and that changed what could have been a one possession game at twenty six to twenty into a thirty to twenty lead for the uh, Miami Dolphins, and it just it went all the way across because one of the other things that you know in our notes to start things out is the Patriots falling into their getting out of the running game again and they did that in the second half they were up 20 to 10 now of course uh, Miami marches down the field makes it 20 to 13 New England gets the ball back Uh, they run a couple plays and then there's a sack and it's a strip sack Brady loses the ball and next thing you know it's 20 to 20 the Patriots Patriots only ran the ball a total of six times the entire second half after running it 14 times for over 65 yards in the first quarter, in the first half. Their running game was working. They totally, totally abandoned it. And I don't get why they abandoned the running game because of the fact that Miami, with Cameron Wake, and there are other guys out there were absolutely teeing off on the Patriots' offensive line. And the worst part about it all, Bob, is not only were they passing the ball, but they were trying a lot of these times to use play action. Well, play action doesn't work if you're not <laughs> handing the ball, ball off. There's, there's, there's one thing you'll see in, in my focus on film thing this week. Uh, it, it's a, a play by Stephen Ridley where it is phenomenal blocking by the offensive line. It's actually the play right before the strip sack on Brady by Cameron Wake. He hits the hole, and basically he bounces the wrong way. He goes left into a pile of three or four Dolphins and gets a two-yard gain. 
had he bounced it out to the right where there was some great blocking by Connolly and by uh, the uh, right tackle, Sebastian Vollmer, had he bounced it out right, he's got a 10 to 12 yard gain. And then maybe they're not looking at a second and eight where they have to throw the ball. And Cameron Wake isn't just coming in. Unfortunately, I have not figured it out yet. I just don't get why this team, all of a sudden, when it gets close, it just throws it all on Brady. And I love Tom Brady, but he didn't have a good game. He missed some plays. And not only that, he was under constant duress. And the only way to help a quarterback out is to get a running game going. It's not like it was a couple of years ago when it was 34-7 to for the San Francisco 49ers and he had to put the ball up, you know, 60 times that game to even have a chance. I mean, we're talking about a 20-20 to game, uh, you know, after the second possession of the third quarter, and the Patriots hardly even run the ball. In fact, they only really run the, ran the ball three more times. They had two runs at the end of the game when, when it was, you know, yeah, Marine had an eight yarder when it didn't mean yeah. anything. I and and they did run. I think it was one more time. Had a pretty good gain, but it was called back. I think yeah, uh, Human had a holding or something like that, or a face yep. mask or something like that. But you're right. I mean, they played that second half like they were behind, not in front. And even when they were behind, it was only by three points. I mean, that last exactly. touchdown was what three and a half minutes left in the game or three minutes left in the game. So almost the entire second half, they were within one score of either taking the lead or tying the game. So why completely give up on the run game? Now, one thing that was a little deceptive in the first half stats and, and yeah, when you look at total yardage, they, you know, had over 60 yards running. However, Two big plays. Julian Edelman had two plays, two runs for 21 yards, which was a big chunk of that. Uh, but still, they, the fact that they ran the ball in the first half uh, and, and made no attempt to. I mean, Josh McDaniels, I know he's your favorite um, <laughs> offensive coach in the NFL, and I don't want to make you feel bad, but he just won't stick to the run game. Even Chris Price. Um, from WEI, and I know you pointed it out to me, uh, had a column about how in the second half they just went completely away from the run. I mean, I, I don't understand yeah. it. I did point it out to you, and in fact, I I uh, had sent the link to uh, Chris Price, uh, of course, WEI. I sent him the link to my uh, Three Yards in a Cloud of Must catalog uh, <laughs> article that I wrote earlier in the year. And he just came back and said, great minds think alike. And it just shows you, every time the Patriots lose, they get pass happy. There was a stat out there that the Patriots are like 1-5 in five when Brady throws the ball 55 times or plus. And he threw the fifth ball 55 times this past game and only ran the ball 20 times. That's almost three to one in favor of passing versus running. I mean, at some point, someone's got to sit back and say, hey, Josh, buddy, this isn't working. The unbalanced is not working. Your defense needs a rest. Your defense needs a break here, and you're going back, and Cameron Wake and McNeil and all these other guys are flying after your quarterback. And it's three and out, it's fumble, it's punt, it's, it's oh my God, the defense is back. In a 95-degree day in Miami, I, I just don't get it. It's on to another week, and, and we'll see if the Patriots decide to go back to what worked so well last year 
and got them into the playoffs and got them to Denver. And in Denver, they got away from the run way too quick. Yeah, and this year's team is so different than other years that we've seen the Patriots. I'm just hoping they have the same resiliency that last year's team had. And I think this this week is going to be kind of a telltale. I mean, if if they win, even if it's a close game, then all is forgiven and you go forward, it's a road game, and hopefully they can do a halfway decent job of stopping the the Minnesota offense and, and the Patriots offense gets untracked, um, which they were in the first half of the game. They had, what, 200 and something yards in the first half of the game. So it's it's not like they didn't move the ball. And you're right, the offensive line in the first half was okay. It wasn't terrible. It was okay. It was in the second half. Now, you know, one of the other things we learned among my 10 things we learned notes here is Julian Edelman was not a fluke last year. But what the hell happened in the second half? He caught six <laughs> passes for 95 Unreal. yards in the first half, none in the second half. Absolutely zero. Goose egg. They didn't, he ran the, I mean, he had eight touches in the first half and a big, absolute goose egg in the second half. It's, it's unbelievable that that happened. And, you know, it, it's not like he wasn't out there. He was out there. They just, again, the pass rush from Miami didn't let anything develop, anything at all. You know what, Bob? We just we, we got to just put this thing to bed, dig up a hole, bury that football, move on to to, to the next next thing in Patriots Nation, and that's moving on to the Minnesota Vikings. But before we do that, CLS Radio and Patriots Beat needs your help. Log on to iTunes, because you can listen to us for free there. Uh, www.itunes.com slash Patriots Beat, or you can go to clnsradio.com slash Pat's Beat iTunes. Please give us a rating, give us a review. Hey, even subscribe. You can listen to us all the time. And of course, our friends over there at Stitcher, Celtics Beat already in the top 15. Help Patriots Beat get there as well. Very simple to get there. Uh, if you want, clnsradio.com slash Pat's Beat Stitcher. Get us right there, rate us, review us, help us grow, and help us be great. Bob, not a uh, subject that I really want to get a lot into, but uh, how can we not with the fact that Ray Rice, uh, the video came out on TMZ, Ray Rice has been cut by the Baltimore Ravens, Uh, he has been suspended indefinitely, and now the NFL is doing a little back paddle here because the AP is saying that the NFL had this had this video of the big left cross that Ray Rice threw at his wife, and they kind of looked the other way. Your thoughts on this because this makes me sick. Well, you know, and it's so there's so many contradictions you're hearing about it. Number one, you know, Goodell goes on TV and says, we didn't see it, we asked for it, we didn't see it. You're seeing reports, as you just mentioned, that he did. But then you listen to the uh, uh, general manager of the Ravens who went on TV and said, Rice never lied to us. He told us everything. Well, if he and, and the video didn't contradict that. Well, if he told them everything, he had to have told them he clocked her. And and if he told them, why didn't they have that discussion with the commissioner? I think the commissioner could lose his job. 
I, I, he should lose. He, okay, should is a better word because I, whether he will or not is doubtful only because the league is making money and it's all about money. But they've got a, they right now have a black eye. Even Robert Kraft, who normally was a big supporter, uh, has just kind of backed away a little bit and says, you know, we will not tolerate the, the things that are happening off the field and the abuse that's going on. And, you know, we had some, some writing about it. I know I wrote about it, uh, gee, I want to say it was around the last of last month. It was a Sunday uh, when the 49ers Ray McDonald was arrested for domestic violence. And I had written an article about that and kind of addressed Ray Rice, but that was before this new issue arrived. And they haven't done anything to McDonald. And McDonald was arrested for domestic abuse. Uh, and now Scott Baines, our, our, another one of our great Patriots beat writers, had an article today, and he quoted Robert Kraft that domestic abuse isn't going to be tolerated in the NFL. I mean, they, they need to do something. I don't know that it's a huge percentage-wise issue when you look at the number of players there are in the NFL, but they need to act strong and act quickly. Uh, and And... They're just, they haven't done that. History is they haven't done that. And who knows what's going to happen with Rice. You know, my concern with Rice, and I'm not defending anything he did. However, they wrote the new rules about what the punishment would be after they had already punished him. And to me, you're going to end up with the players union involved here some way because they then upped what they were going to do after the fact, after they'd already punished him. What, what was your reaction to that, Jeff? Well, here's one of the things I'm going to say. I can't see the Players Union coming out and acting for Ray Rice here. It's just too big of an issue. It's too global. It's too viral right now. Uh, when they came out and changed the, the rules, and, 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 of course, Roger Goodell backpedals as he always does. Hey, he's a good lawyer. That's what he does. He backpedals. Roger, Roger Goodell absolutely is the most hypocritical, two-faced ginger boy I've ever seen in my life. Now, don't hold I've back, never, Jeff. I've never had a chance to meet this guy, but if I ever did, I would let him know exactly what I think he does. He sits there and, and preaches that he wants safety for his players. And then he says, well, we want to expand the playoffs. We want to expand the regular season. Adding more games to the players for not more money and, you know, having them be susceptible, uh, I can't say that damn word, susceptible. <laughs> susceptible. <laughs> susceptible. I was, gonna, I was so excited. I practiced that all week, too. <laughs> but susceptible to injuries. And, but you know what? You can make more money, more advertising, more butts in the seat, you know, another playoff game, make more money. But, hey, I want our guys to be okay. And then you now you see... Chandler Jones got two roughing the passer penalties this week. I'm never one to blame the refs for loss. It isn't the reason they lost. But at some point, some of these calls, it's football. It's ticky okay? tack. And it is very ticky tack. And they've taken – Roger Goodell has put player safety in mind in on the field and concussions and this and that. You tell me right now that Ray Rice's wife didn't have a concussion after that hit because she was knocked out cold. Roger Goodell basically backpedaled after after you know he started to get some 
feedback that it was oh, two games for, for hitting your wife, but hey, four games if you light up a joint. You know, and, and I understand that, you know what, drugs are not the answer, but you should get more games for, for hitting your wife than you should for, for, you know, sparking up a joint. And obviously he backpedaled there. I'm a conspiracy theorist at heart, and I'm sitting there thinking that Roger Goodell basically said, uh-oh, this footage is going to get leaked. I got to put out that we're going to be strong and that I made a mistake. If you saw that, he didn't say anything about it. And then all of a sudden, two weeks after the suspension was announced, he started to say, oh, oh, I made a mistake. So you're telling me that TMZ or whoever had the video didn't come out and say, hey, we're going to release this right now. So Goodell starts backpedaling. I'm telling you right now, if the AP's report is true, and the law enforcement tr- report is true that they got this video and Roger Goodell saw it. He should not only should he be let go of the NFL as commissioner, that man should be fined himself. He makes $44 million a year. He doesn't seem to care. He doesn't care one bit. He doesn't care about player safety. All he cares about is greasing his pocket and the public image of the Shield. And the Shield's public image has taken a complete hit, not only by its players with domestic violence, but by its number one person out there, the commissioner, because he's a two-faced liar. Well, in in my fear a little bit is that they're going to lay it all on some underling who got the tape, but he never got it. They never yeah, brought that's, it to well, him. That's the BS. And that's what you're seeing kind of leaking out now is there was some woman that acknowledged it. They had gotten it and said, isn't that terrible? And she was with the NFL office, but no one above her has claimed to have seen the tape. And I, that poor woman is going to be probably the, the, the scapegoat when all is said and done. And, the, and that's crap. I mean, there's no way that should be the case. But I, my gut feeling is that's how it's going to go. I mean, who knows? This, they're just shooting themselves in the foot. And, and it's crazy that they've got this successful, I mean, I mean, the most successful sport in the history of sports other than soccer in Europe. I mean, this is, this is unbelievable that they, they can do so many things to screw up the good thing, and this year they seem to be just piling them on. And, I, you know, the worst part, Jeff, you're a fan, I'm a fan, I'm not going to stop watching. I still love football. I still want to watch it. Will I be as happy with it? No. Will I be frustrated with it more? I, I mean, I used to get frustrated when they lost the team I was rooting for, but the, the game itself was enjoyable for me. And when you're seeing the things that are happening this year and reading about the players, and think about it, the players, you know, these, these guys are out there in the field banging heads, giving it 100%, and building up, they're taught to build up this anger towards their enemy. And then they're let loose on the, on the streets of our country after the game. Maybe they should lock all the players up between games, kind of like gladiators in the old days. The, the movie The Gladiator where they had them all in cages and everything. Yeah. That's it. That's the solution. Keep the players in cages during the season. Let them out to play the games, put them back in the cages after the game, and then when the season's over and they get a chance to wind down, that's my solution. I've come up with the cure for all this anger. 
<laughs> there you go. Yeah, well, you know what? Not to bring a political view in here, but uh, who is going to play the Hillary Clinton and take the blame for Obama here? Who's, who's going to take the blame for Roger Goodell? It's, that's what's going to happen. Let's move on from that, though. It's a bad situation. It's a black mark on the shield. We got a game on Sunday, Bob. Yep. All right. The Patriots, the Patriots right now are going up against a very good running attack. You've already mentioned Cordelli Patterson, what he can do, the explosiveness that he has, a smart uh, quarterback in Matt Castle. You know, he's not a top 10 quarterback, but he's a middle-of-the-pack smart quarterback. They got Greg Jennings out there. They got Kyle Rudolph, a very good um, tight end who can – the Patriots has had some issues with tight ends. Of course, Charles Clay really didn't hurt him on Sunday. And a defensive front that, while they're not as great as Miami's is, they no longer have Jared Allen. They still have a guy named Everson Griffin who can get after the pass, uh, the passer. Kind of tough here. Patriots haven't started 0-2 in a season in a very, very long time. In fact, 2001 uh, against the uh, when Brady and Bloodsoe were coming around. That's the last time they started 0-2 in a season. Well, and and you talk about sacks. They've only they only allowed one sack in that first game, so you're right. I mean, it's a smart quarterback in Castle. They had Minnesota had five sacks in their first game, and Brady, you know, take four, multiply it times sixteen. He won't make it through the season if they if they continue. And I know last year at the beginning of the year it was the same way. Let me ask you something though: Were you concerned? And I know part of it was by that stage he had been beat up a lot by how inconsistent Brady's passes were, even when players were open. Reminded me a little bit of some last year uh, where miscommunication, but he had Edelman wide open for a touchdown on one and overthrew him by 10 yards. Yeah, I mean, he was beat up, but he had some plays at the beginning of the game where he was off. Uh, I remember a screen pass to my favorite Brandon Bolden, uh, completely threw it uh, to the right of him completely in the first half. Uh, Brady was not sharp, uh, not sharp at all. I mean, he missed his first first pass uh, to Rob Gronkowski, which um, I don't know why Rob didn't get that. That was It hit his hands. You know, maybe it's the first time he's, he's trying to catch the ball out there, but then he went six for six on the next drive. I'm like, all right, Brady, Brady's back. Brady's ready to go. 19 of 29 going into halftime, and he ends up with only 29 completions in 56 attempts. So that's telling you he only completed 10 passes in the second half. That was the lowest completion ratio of any quarterback in the NFL this weekend. It is you know, his rating was terrible too. 69.7 yep. QBR. I mean, it's tough, it, and I mean the 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 strip sacks. Yep, that's that's on Brady. You know, Brady usually holds on to the ball pretty well. Um, he missed some open wide receivers. The Julian Edelman one is completely it. Um, you know, I, you can blame a little bit on the offensive line. You can blame some, uh, you know, on the uh, on, on Brady not having a clean pocket. But there's some throws that he just plain out missed. Second drive. Um, an out pattern to Rob Gronkowski. Gronk had about a yard and a half on his man, and uh, Brady puts it uh, two feet too far in front of him. Uh, and, and, and luckily for, for the Patriots, uh, Shane Vereen uh, garnered 11 yards on the next play for a first down on a handoff real late. So Was, was that the one he threw almost into the ground? There was one I remember in particular. He threw, couple, yeah. he threw over the middle, 
literally it didn't go 10 yards into the, there wasn't a receiver within 10 yards of it straight into the ground and i don't think he was throwing the ball away i just think no it just came straight into the ground yeah. that was actually the play before uh the play that i'm talking about to rob gronkowski but it just uh brady i mean didn't look great that's for sure and some of it you have to wonder about uh how much that calf really bothered him. Yep. How much missing Thursday's practice bothered Tom Brady. But then he comes out and starts 19 of 29 and looked fairly good. I mean, there were some plays left out on the field, no doubt about it. But, yes, I'm concerned moving forward, especially against the uh, against this Minnesota Vikings, who, as you said, had five sacks. Uh, is Are they going to get the same pressure on Tom Brady? Is Tom Brady going to have the ability to step up. We've all said over the years that the one way to beat Tom Brady and the New England Patriots and Steve Spagnuolo and the Giants showed it in Super Bowl 42, and it's been the blueprint ever since, is get pressure up the middle. Get in Tom Brady's face. And if you can do that with four uh, players rushing and seven players in, in pass coverage, you're going to have a good chance of beating them. The Patriots need this week against the Minnesota Vikings to come out more balanced. We, we talked about it already. they got to come out more balanced and help Brady. Brady's no spring chicken anymore, 37 years old. He needs help from his friends. He used to get help from his friends back uh, you know, in 2001 to 2005 before Tom Brady was you know, the marquee quarterback in the NFL, and then they threw it all on Tom, and he had a great five-year run of statistics. He needs some help now. This, you know, At the end of his career has to be like the beginning of his career. He needs a solid defense, and he needs balance to help him win. Well, the Patriots have allowed, I'm going back to the defense here for a minute, 191 rushing yards last week. They've now allowed the second most rushing yards per game since the start of last season. Aren't they going to get a defense they stick to, Jeff, do you think? I mean, I, I know they're flip-flopping 4-3, 3-4, and we talked about that a little while ago. But what is the key to stopping the run? Well, number one thing for stopping the run is something that hurt the Patriots hugely this week uh, against the Miami Dolphins and, and can really hurt them next week against the Minnesota Vikings is setting the edge. They were not able to set the edge too many times. As I said, Chandler Jones was run at because he's, he's trying to play 3-4 defensive end. If they do this with Adrian Peterson, Adrian Peterson is going to get 300 yards running. The The linebacker play was very poor. Gerard Mayo played very, very poor. Uh, Jamie Collins, while he was you know, a, a, a plus category in your friend Mike Reese's ups, uh, three ups and three downs, um, he missed a couple tackles as well. Too many times players were, were, were looking inside, and the Miami Dolphins were able to get through that first wave and then bounce it out. They were, they were not touched for seven yards before, before they were even touched. The Patriots need to come out and basically go to a 4-3 defense. Listen, Bill Belichick has forgotten more about football than I will ever know. Believe me, I know that. And I can sit here and be a talking head and say what I think is right, but it needs to get brought back down to a simple approach. And the simplest approach, if you remember, after the 2011 season, before the 2011 season, with the collective bargaining uh, happening and the, the the lockout going in and the Patriots coming out and everyone starting training camp a lot you know a lot later into the season and no OTAs anything like that there 
What was the defense that Bill Belichick taught his team, the team that went to the Super Bowl that year with Mark Anderson, with Andre Carter there? They taught a very simplistic 4-3 defense. I think they need to go back to that. I think what they really need to do here is put Chandler Jones as a rush end, Rob Gronkowski as a rush end, have them rotate with a guy like Michael Buchanan, have a great inside rotation with Vince Wilfork, your first-round pick, Dominic Easley, who can really get after the passer and is a disruptive force. There's no reason to have him two-gapping. He should be one-gapping and getting after the ball. If they do that, what they should really be doing is moving Gerard Mayo out of that middle linebacker role, having him play the will over the weak side guard, having Collins play the play the Sam on the strong side covering the tight end, and have the thumper in Dante Hightower, who's very good against the run, then sitting there and being able to stop the run. And then on passing downs, you can move Dante Hightower in to be one of those rush ends, but they need to go simplistic here. They need to use the type of things that they have, the players that they have, and right now that scheme that they ran on Sunday and hopefully will not run again against the uh, uh, against the Minnesota Vikings with three down linemen did not work too many holes, not the right thing for the personnel out there. Well, and, and the defense, I'm still thinking this defense is going to be an elite defense, but I'm now lowering my early season expectations a little bit and and the expectations for the team uh i i you know they've got to use the players to their strength and until they all gel together as a unit this team is not going to dominate defensively i mean it's it's matter of fact unless they make some of the adjustments uh that that Coach Kane just mentioned, and <laughs> I thought I was Commissioner. Kane. Well, your Commissioner Kane, your Coach Kane, your rose-colored glasses, Doctor Rose. Although the Doctor Rose-colored glasses title got taken away from you in the Patriots post-game show, because you were you definitely weren't looking through rose-colored glasses oh, after the game. <laughs> you should have heard me before that. I had a mild case of Tourette's. There were a lot of f bombs being dropped down there. Let me I, ask you another question, Jeff. We we talked about the run game. Is McDaniel's ever going to stick with it? Say they come out to to the game in Minnesota, and in the first half they play as well as they played in the first half against Miami, and and the game is comparable in score at halftime. Did he learn anything? Do you think that going into the second half, stick to your game plan instead of going away and trying long bombs when he didn't have a receiver? that was capable of getting open for long bombs. I mean, they, Edelman is not have to normally... Time to get open for well, long no, bombs. I know it. And in addition to that, he, he was getting his quarterback sacked. But, I mean, think about it. There was no speed burner on that team. Edelman was the one that was going long, and hell, he's best when he can cut across. I mean, take the Welker role. That wasn't long bombs, and they didn't do that at all in the second half. I, I felt not only did they pass too much, but the calls were not calls that allowed Brady to get quick releases 
I, I mean, the Vereen Pass disappeared. The, it, it just, and I know they were getting pressure. I, I'm not taken away from that, but there's ways you counter pressure, and they didn't do anything to counter it that I saw. And one of those ways is, you know, run the ball, force the other team to at least think you're going to run, so they can't, you know, sit back on their heels and come after you, pin their ears back and come after you. So has McDaniel's learned anything? I don't think you can ever sit there and say McDaniels has learned everything. Go back and look at his first season as Patriots offense coordinator. You know, he was not the offense coordinator by name, but basically after the 2004 season when Charlie Weiss and Romeo Cornell and Bill Belichick finished their trifecta with three Super Bowls in four years, Weiss left, Cornell left. It was basically, um, his name escapes me right now, uh, Man genius, <laughs> Ernie, or, or, Man uh, genius. whatever the heck, Man genie, yeah, yeah, exactly. Man genie became the defense coordinator, and Josh McDaniels was the de facto offense coordinator, even though he was only the quarterback uh, coach there. That year, a year after Corey Dillon set every single Patriots rushing record for attempts in a season to to also um, yards in a season. Corey Dillon said that the following year, the Patriots threw the ball 569 times and only ran it 434. There, right there, is what Josh McDaniels does. He does not run the ball. He's never been a, a running quarter, a running uh, coordinator. It just hasn't ever happened, unfortunately for the New England Patriots, because the problem is. New England's always been good when they're balanced, and Josh McDaniels is not a balanced thing. He's too smart for himself. He sits there and says, all right, well, I got this player and I got that player. Josh McDaniels was never thought about as a phenomenal offensive coordinator until the Patriots went out and got Wes Welker, and they went out and got uh, Randy Moss, and they turned around and got uh, Dante, Dante Stallworth and Jabbar Gaffney. They had all these players. That is basically they built – that 2007 through 2010 team around Josh McDaniel's office. Now, obviously, McDaniel's was gone after the 2008 season, but they built it around what Josh McDaniel's does well, and that's past the ball. They got completely away from the running game. And if you look back when the Patriots went under Bill O'Brien, Bill O'Brien was able to build a running game. He made... Ben Jarvis Green Ellis into a very rich man when he signed with the Cincinnati Bengals and they were able to get there. Josh McDaniels does not learn how to run the ball. He is a pass first player, a pass first coach. And unfortunately that's a huge issue. Who is the key running back? Is it Ridley? I mean, Ridley only had 22 snaps in that game. Vereen had 61 now, we all look at Vereen more as that third down back, but when you're taking 61 really of 86... Now, when you take when you're looking at 61 of 86 snaps, you darn well don't. And he was in there on a couple of the, the close-to-the-goal-line type situations. He scored the Ridley. touchdown. Yeah. So is he going to be, or will Ridley be given a chance, or will they dress white this week? 
I would hope that they dress white this week, and and that would be over Brandon Bolden. I, I and, and to get and, and and Brandon Bolden brings nothing to the table in my eyes. Uh, they had had a couple, you know, plays that I liked what they were trying to design uh, with two ba- uh, backs in the backfield there. You know, uh, the fake uh, toss sweep, and, and then have another back come out of the uh, the backfield to try to catch the ball. We saw it in the uh, in the preseason where they would run that play with James White and Shane Vereen in the backfield, and both of them could catch a wheel route going up up the sideline. Brandon Bolden, to me, and that is Bill Belichick sitting there going, oh, he brings me more on special teams. Granted, special teams is so important, but let, let me tell you something right now. You, you need to have a better offensive player. Stephen Ridley can run the football. There were some times that he was able to run the football well. The reason that I think you saw Shane Vereen getting more snaps is simple. The Patriots threw the ball more. The Patriots threw the ball 55 times to 20 yep. runs. The one thing that I was encouraged of seeing was the fact that they used Shane Vereen in traditional running sets, in eye formation, in weak eye, in you know an ace backfield with two tight ends. They let him run the ball. Shane Vereen was very a very, very talented three-down runner coming out of the University of California. Very, very talented. He's coming here, and for some reason, he's got this third down back only mantra around him. And maybe it's because of the fact that, you know, he basically redshirted his entire rookie year because of injuries. Uh, he got injured in his uh, second year, and and his third year, of course, um, he was injured. Uh, and, and was on IR for a little while. And here he goes into his fourth year. So maybe it's because he's had that injury. Uh, approach, but Shane Vereen's a very, very talented runner inside and outside of the tackles. I'd like to see them do more of that. Now, of course, with New England, it's always going to be this multiple backfield. It's been that way for a while now. It's been that way even uh, in Ben Jarvis Green Ellis's last season here in 2012, where Ridley got 500 plus yards of running. In 2013, I'm sorry, 2012 was Ridley's uh, first year, he had 1,200 yards, but they still move the ball with Danny Woodhead and all those other things. So it'll be interesting to see what exactly happens. There's going to be times that they're going to game plan and have Ridley get out there and get 20 carries a game. There's also going to be times where you're going to see Ridley get you know 20 snaps, depending on the game plan. But they need to just take this running game and make it into a running game that can carry the ball, you know, at, at least to take the pressure off the, the offensive line. This is the, in the history of the Patriots, the ninth time they're opening the season with two road games, 64, 68, 84, 96, 2003. Uh, that's tough. That's tough to start a season, even if you are a good team, to start two games on the road. If they lose, and I'm picking them to win, if they happen to lose, they're going to be 0-2. They have the second longest streak without an 0-2 start in the NFL. The Blancos are the longest with 14, the Patriots 12. Can they bounce back from 0-2, Jeff? I think they can bounce back from 0-2 because, well, it's on the road. All right, And they bounced back from an 0-2 start in 2001, of course, made that Super Bowl run. 1994, who can forget those two games 
on the road, back to back, uh, a 38 to 35 loss to the uh, Miami Dolphins to start out. Marino versus Bloodso, uh, and then against the Buffalo Bills the following uh, week, another shootout. I think it was 35 to 31 that game. I might have got the scores screwed up there, but one of them was 38 35, the other one was 35 31. Those were amazing games, and of course the Patriots uh, were 0 and 2 that year. Uh, and made it to the playoffs after uh, you know ten and six uh, season. In fact, this week's uh, this week's opponent uh, was the big start of a seven game win streak yep. for the New England Patriots back uh, back in my uh, Minnesota. Actually, it was a home game in Foxborough. Seventy passes. As I sit there and say, you need balance to win. Forty five completions, seventy passes. That was your man too. Uh, Drew Bloodso, yep. I, I want to say 422 yards. I could be off there, but a game-winning touchdown to number 34, Kevin Turner. Oh, man, that was a wonderful, wonderful – oh, man, I just remember that season. That season, that season was awesome. That season was great. Uh, and it was so hard, you know, that season because – they started horrible. Yeah, they were I mean, three they were, and six. Three and six. So, yes, it is possible. But the Patriots lose on Sunday, and it isn't close. I mean, you're coming home and playing the the Oakland Raiders. Now, granted, you should you got to win that one. You got to win yeah. that one. And then you're on the road again to close the first quarter of the season against Kansas City, who did lose against the Tennessee Titans. But Kansas City, that's at home. Kansas City is a tough place to play. This team could could very easily get through the first quarter of the season at one and three. Now they've been one and three in the past and made it to the uh, you know to the playoffs. The most recent was 2012 uh, when they started out one and three with uh, the back to back losses. Um, you know they won the first week of the season against the Tennessee Titans and then uh, had back to back losses against the. Uh, uh, Minnesota, no, I'm sorry, it was Arizona Cardinals and Baltimore Ravens, and I'm sorry, they won the following week versus uh, Buffalo. So they hadn't started 1-3. and three. They started 1-3 and three that year that Tom Brady brought them to the Super Bowl the first year. But 1-3 uh, and three has not been seen in this in this uh, area for, well, since 2001. A little scary, That's isn't it? A little scary a little thinking scary. about that. I mean, I, I, all... I just, the key is, last year they had this resiliency that... You just, once they started coming back and they won, you know, games in the last second, games in the last minute, they'd come from behind uh, and low-scoring games. I'm, I'm, I want to see that resiliency this weekend. I really do. I, I, I know they're more talented than they, they played against Miami. I'm, I, I've got no doubt in my mind about that. But now it's heart. And and Belichick, how would you like to have been a fly on the wall in in the coaching sessions this week after that loss and have to face Bill Belichick? Uh, a lot of those new players have never had that before. I mean, the Tom Brady's have, the Vince Wilforks have, but he's a tough taskmaster to begin with. And maybe this loss was good. Uh, I, I, I'm trying to be positive here because it gave him all the the ammunition he needed to really make them realize how how they can win, but they can't win playing like they did Sunday. Well, that's twofold there because yes, Bill Belichick, of course, is that taskmaster, and we've we've heard it in the past, you know, after losses that you know Belichick gets so much more out of his team. 
but if they're in there watching the same film that I've watched, and I mean, there's only so many ways you can watch film, the Patriots players can also sit there and say, okay, Bill, how are you going to fix this? How are you going to put us in position to win? This week's game is as much on the players and their resiliency as it's going to be on these offense coordinator, defense coordinator, offense and defensive line coaches. I mean, if you look at the at the issues that they had this week, they had the issues with the offensive line, where you've got a brand new offensive line uh, coach in, in Dave uh, D. Googe, if you want to call him that. Come and on, say his whole line. name. Uh, Googly Limo or yeah, yeah, something like that. And then defensive line, where Daly is now the new defensive line coach. And you're getting two two different players here, two different coaches that are used to different styles that they didn't do. Dave D is coming from uh, places in New York Giants and in the Miami Dolphins and the New York Jets where it was a run-first team. Of course, Daly coming from the Minnesota Vikings where he coached a 4-3 defense. And they're bringing these guys in and they're asking them to adapt to what the Patriots' offense and defense coordinators are trying to do in Matt Patricia and uh, Josh McDaniels. There is a, a little bit of, of worry in my mind, the fact that they're not putting these guys in the right position to win. And is there is there is there dissension in the ranks of coaches where you've got one coach who, who does it one way and one coach that does it the other way, and they're not – simultaneously working together well. Hey, one of the other things, they, one, one good thing is, overall, they came out of the game pretty healthy. However, today, Thursday, when we, when we first were putting the show together, I, just before we went on the air, saw that starting linebacker uh, Jamie Collins was added to their injury report uh, with limited participation in practice because of a thigh ailment. Uh, that's that. If if there's any way at all that he can't go Sunday or is going at, at half speed, that's scary. He was in 70, we mentioned this early, 73 of the 74 snaps in the season opener. What will they do if Collins goes down? And they'll just have to adapt, next man up. You know, and if they if they do that, if Col- I mean, if Collins goes down, you know, you're, you're, you're not going to be able to run that 3-4. You're just not going to be able to run that 3-4. Or that three-three. So basically, what you're gonna you're gonna have to see is you're gonna have to see a guy like Chandler Jones be a stand-up linebacker and and, and run you know a four-man front and only have those three linebackers, or come out in you know a a nickel sub package. And and key the, the key here is you gotta have four men on that line. There were too many holes on that line. It just it was just there was too much there. Looking at the offense, and I know I'm flip-flopping back and forth, I'm hoping Dobson is dressed uh, this Sunday. He looked really good in the last preseason game. I was really surprised that he didn't even dress in this game. And if he dresses, who sits? Good question. Uh, Very good question. I don't – I mean, right now I'm looking at Brandon LaFell. I agree. I agree. Did absolutely nothing. Um, but that doesn't mean he can't do something again. I mean, it'll be hard. Now, now maybe they don't, you know, have as many linemen as they did out there. You know, maybe 
uh, you know, they, they go with more wide receivers. But in my opinion, and I've, and I've had this since last year, Aaron Dobson is going to be a very, very good wide receiver. Yeah, but you're the same guy that told me Josh Boyce was going to, this was going to be his breakout year. It is. It's going to be his breakout year on the practice floor. <laughs> he broke out of the team. <laughs> he did. He broke out of the team. No, I'm kidding you. I, I, I mean, Dobson is the long threat. The other player, and I think this is going to hurt LaFell also, that to me, I've been really impressed with, is Tim Wright. I think they can make him more active on that team. And I I, I know you're not a big tight end fan, but I'm just getting at the, the way he plays. I wasn't a big tight end. Oh, come on. But anyway. No, I just said you don't need a tight end to win. That's all I've said. But, I but love- he has many of the good signs that LaFell we thought had. And and I think he may cut into LaFell's playing time. And I don't know that they're going to need LaFell if they put Dobson on the field. It wasn't that they didn't have wide receivers. It was that unfortunately the quarterback didn't have time to pass to the wide receivers. I don't I don't know that the wide receivers and you've done the film study weren't getting open periodically. Uh Tompkins had a kind of quiet game, but I didn't think he was terrible. I didn't see many drops when you were looking at the film. Did you were you looking for drops and how many, and, and if so, Jeff, did you see many drops? Not a huge amount of drops. Overthrows, underthrows, yep. um, throws that weren't in stride. Uh, a very, I mean, a very bad game by Tom Brady. I, I, I put the biggest thing, and, and Tom's got to show me something this week. Uh, and it is odd to say that because of how great that Tom has been for so many years, and how you know, basically last year he he really did put that team on his back uh, in, in certain games and and win. I mean, the game against Denver when they were down twenty four to three, the last series against um uh, the last series uh, against uh the, the New Orleans Saints you know where yes he had some bad plays that led to the fact that they were down but he's still money when he has to be but Brady is now no longer unfallible he he can make mistakes he's not the guy that back in 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 2009 or I'm sorry 2010 or 2011 had 39 touchdown passes and only four interceptions he, that Tom Brady is gone. What you have now is Tom Brady from his early years. The guy who needs to find the open wide receiver. And too much last week, he was locking on to whether it be Edelman or Gronk or Vereen. He was locking on to his wide receivers and not seeing some of the guys coming open. So it'll be interesting to see. I really, I got to see something out of Tom this week. That shows me that he hasn't taken a step back. And, you know, I'm not going to jump too much over a guy who has been the heart and soul of the New England Patriots since 2001. But that was probably the worst game that I've seen Tom Brady play in a Patriots uniform. I'm trying to think back last year because there were some pretty bad ones last year, too. But I was blaming the wide receivers last year for drops and stuff, which yeah, was Yeah, there were a lot of drops last year. And that's why I asked if you saw drops because I didn't. So so then if there's not drops and they're in the right position, you've got to bring it back to the quarterback. I thought Amendola was okay. He didn't throw to him a whole bunch. He had three receptions. He had one call back, which was a critical reception. And, oh. and it was one of those, I think it was Human again, got called on a penalty. I, I thought Humana Mano Hui Hui 
did not have a very good game. He's supposed to be the blocking tight end. Um, when you were looking at your game film, I don't know how much you focused on that, but did he have as bad a game as I felt he had? Uh, I really didn't focus on who man that much. Bit player. Um, you know, they came out a, a lot in, uh, you know, 11 personnel, one running back, uh, one tight end, and three wide receivers. And most of the time, the three wide receivers were, um, you know, Edelman, Amendola, and uh, Tompkins. Very surprised at the uh, amount of little throws that uh, that Amendola got because there were a couple things that I that really caught my eye where he had beaten man coverage to the inside and Brady just didn't throw yeah. it. Brady, Brady, there was I, I remember there was one play um, I believe it was in the oh, second quarter uh, where Brady threw it to the end zone for Gronk. Gronk, yep. Yeah. Uh, Amendola was coming across the middle there and was wide open at the sticks. Now, the play was called back for a face mask on Ryan Wendell. So, I mean, if he throws it to, to Amendola for the first down, it's brought back anyways. But still, the fact that Brady tried to force it into basically what was double coverage when he had Amendola coming across the middle, it, it makes you wonder. Because this preseason, I thought Amendola looked pretty dang good. Um, you know, but it makes you wonder. It, it really makes you wonder what you're going to see. Uh, coming out this week. Well, Bob, we're running low on time, so I think we ought to move it forward and and, and decide what we're gonna who we're gonna pick on Sunday and and where we think things are gonna roll out. So I'll let you go first because uh, you already told me who you you yeah, think winning. Yeah, I've got no doubt the Patriots are gonna win. I had no doubt they were gonna win last week, and look how right I was then. Um, yeah, I I think the Pats will score a lot of points. Uh, I I do think. Minnesota can score a lot of points too, so I, I think it may be a close game. I'm looking at something like 31 to 27 Patriots. I think it's going to be a high-scoring game. Well, all right, Patriots Nation, it's time to uh, take that Dr. Rose-colored glasses look off my eyes because until the Patriots can prove me otherwise, now this is probably the first time in ten oh, no. years that I've picked, that I've picked against them. Oh. I have absolutely no confidence right now in the coaching staff in the offense or defensive coaching staff to put this team in a position to win. I know it's only been one week, but I look back to what happened at the end of last season against the Denver Broncos in the playoffs. I look back to what just happened last week where they looked absolutely discombobulated. And I look at what I've seen on film, and I don't have the confidence that the Patriots are out there to, to win this week. The Minnesota Vikings absolutely handed the St. Louis Rams their, their lunch. And the St. Louis Rams front four is a hell of a lot better than the New England Patriots front four. At least it is on paper. It's going to be a long afternoon for the New England Patriots, and I'm looking at a 34-24 to victory for the Minnesota Vikings. I have no confidence. Well, let me tell you, we're trading. And I hope no, fun. no. I, we we had. I just announced a trade between Pat's fourth and two, uh, and us. And Russ Goldman is coming on our board. Us and you have been sent to the Pat's fourth and two uh, team. Just thought I'd let you know that. We'll discuss that after we get off the air, but. Oh, great. <laughs> it's your show. Uh, yeah, yeah, all right. So my show I get kicked off of. Uh, I see how it is. All right. I'm, I'm sure uh, 
Nick and uh, Nick Ty and Sean are going to be very happy with the fact that uh, the beat manager has been traded, uh, and not that Russ is a, a bucket of balls because he's not. Russ is Russ is great, uh, but yeah, um, I, I'm the optimistic guy, and I, I've just lost it. Oh, I know. That's it. why I said that. I, I have never been. I think the last time I was up as upset with the New England Patriots and 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 the coaching staff as I am right now. Uh, was actually the namesake of of Russ and Steve and Derek Haven's show from PatsFans.com, Patriots Fourth and Two. Uh, I think that was the I was I was ready to jump off the cliff back in the 2009 season. So, uh, wow, uh, yeah. Right. Well. <laughs> right. well, I don't you. jump that quick. I am not a fair weather fan. Like I know, I don't think you'd ever call me a fair weather fan. <laughs> Wow! Ouch, Bob. That you know what? You're fired. Okay, you're fired. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're uh, we're out of time here on Patriots. I must call the Patriots goal to go. My old uh, my old beautiful show that uh, was the first one I brought over to CLNS. But uh, we're almost out of time here on Patriots beat. Couple housekeeping things to to uh, you know take care of. Text the word on board to two two eight two eight and get on board with CLNS Radio. Of course, jump onto Stitcher or iTunes and search Patriots Beat. Rate us, review us, subscribe. It'll help us. Do it. Do it for your friends. Do it for your family. Do it for Patriots Nation. And it's really easy to do. If you've got iTunes or you listen to iTunes, just go to the iTunes store and in the search column. All you need to do is search Patriots Beat, and you're going to see us pop up and then just select our our little show header. And you get the shows, and then it allows you to uh, to rate the shows and make comments on the shows. Now, Sunday afternoon, Patrick Shankauer and I will be back immediately following the Patriots game for the Patriots post game. Right show. after the loss. Uh, hopefully, we'll be talking about a win, and I can be proved wrong, and I expect to be proved wrong. Uh, but I am, of course, picking the Patriots oh, hey, to lose. <laughs> I, I got to do one thing. I promised someone I would do. I, I asked Bob Heidelberg, uh, Heidelberg, who does the uh, the Pat Statman. Oh, yeah. For some odd stat to mention. So before I wrap the show up, uh, with with 9-11 this week, uh, the Patriots had beat the Jets 20-6 to at Shea Stadium in 1986 on 9-11, and that is the only time they have won a game played on 9-11. They lost to Buffalo, Miami, Minnesota, uh, and then wow. Buffalo again, and then the Jets in 2000. Now, that's the last time they played was in 2000. 2000, but so their 9/11 record isn't very good, and I thank uh, Bob Heilberg for sending that information to me. And those of you that are on uh, Twitter, you can follow him at Bob the Statman. We ought to get Bob on this show. Yeah, yeah. We need you know you you, you get double Bob. I need a little Bob squared on this show. Well, you just fired me. <laughs> yeah, I'll get rehired. You know I can't let you. All right. Well, Pats fans, tune in Sunday after the game. Uh, you know, and hopefully we'll be talking about a win. Uh, go Patriots. Get in the money corner. Hey, get on board, everybody, and have a great week. Internet Sports Talk Radio, CLNS Radio.